0: Today, I sit down with Shannon Roddy for the second time. Shannon is the owner of Marketplace Seller Course, but today's episode was a special one because such is his passion around innovation. We centered the entire conversation about innovation and how to structure that inside of your business. And you know, he has an incredible amount of knowledge as to visionaries historically and how they've impacted change on the planet. So I really enjoyed this one. It's a bit of a different take, but one that really looks at the crux of innovation. I hope you can apply some of these methodologies and some of this logic to your business. And I've gone ahead and tried to do the same for mine. Hi, and welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I interview now successful professionals about their journey and try and garner insights onto any tips that can be applied to your business at home. Whether it's financial freedom or the exit of your company, wherever your journey may take you, the idea here is to simply learn from those who've done it before. I hope you enjoy and you get some value out of this. Buckle up and enjoy the episode. Shannon, welcome to another episode of Successful Scales. You're the first guest that I'm having as a repeat guest. And I'm very, very excited to uh, and honored to have you here again, mate. So welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks thanks again for having me. I think we knew at the tail end of our first conversation that that could not be our last, that we would have to do it again. So um, I'm excited to jump back in. We've got so much to talk about and so much great content to share and and discuss on today's episode.
0: Could not agree more. And for the first time, it has a little bit more of a focus. Let's just do the 101, a little bit about you, just in case someone hasn't listened to the previous episode and and, and who you are to give a bit of context, because I am just as eager as you are to dive (laughs) into everything that we started
1: talking about. Yeah, well, my name is Shannon Roddy and I'm the founder of Marketplace Seller Courses. And we focus on education and empowering brands to launch, grow, protect their brands on the Amazon platform. And so we do that through online coaching, through online courses, and through some uh, one-on-one uh, consulting. But the whole idea is, is really about empowering entrepreneurs. And you know, my backstory, um, my wife and I volunteered in Africa for 15 months uh, back in 2010. My passion then is the same as it is now. It's, it's about helping people create opportunities to create businesses that add value and put food on the table for their family while creating value and impact in the community around them. That hasn't changed. I don't, and I don't care what I wind up doing in life. It will probably be some element of that because it's just the way I'm wired. So that's the company I currently run. I love, I'm a fanatic with innovation. I'm, I'm working on a book on innovation and how to create and sustain a culture of innovation. So I've got about eight years of research, um, in my back pocket, uh, that revolves around innovation. And so a lot of fun stories to share, but that's, that's in a nutshell who I am. I've got a wife and two kids and we've just adopted our second puppy and, uh, we're, we're based here in Atlanta, Georgia. So.
0: Oh, congratulations on the adoption of the second puppy, mate! Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's called a lot of cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, I just went down the the pathway of adopting a two year old pit bull, and uh, that's been a that's been enough work. So good on you for for taking on a second puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that you know what you've just sort of covered right there. Obviously, beyond your background, you talk about eight years of research into innovation and i know that we came in with an intent to talk about innovation we started talking about the innovative things and i mean you even drew to uh, you know i had no idea i'd love to hear the story before we dive into creating that culture around innovation in a company when we talk about scale and pivots and you know the mindset of the entrepreneur looking to solve problems and you're always you're always constantly making incremental changes and like you said before, when you pushed record, you know, you're in ways betting the house on, you know, that new direction. But tell me the story
1: about Slack, because I, I did not know that. So Slack was actually, uh, Stuart Butterfield, they had a company that was a gaming company. And they were trying to figure out their market, like a lot of people, like a lot of entrepreneurs. They were trying to figure out who's our audience, who's the product made for, and sometimes it's just a matter of you have to do it before you run out of runway. I mean, any company, you only have so much cash. You only have so much you can burn through before you, you run out of runway. And they realized they're going to run out of runway. And so what they did is they basically started shutting down the company and they started laying people off. But, and this is important, especially in this, these times of ours that we're living through, they did it in the best way way possible. They created a website called hireanexpert.com and they gave people long packages to allow them to have as much time as they could possibly give them to find another position and referred them just with the highest level of credentials. And they went out of their way to ensure that the people who were part of that um, core group were able to find another job because they they were heartbroken that they had to shut down. There was a silver lining in it and that as they shut that company down, they realized there was this internal communication tool that they had built to communicate around the other product that they were building. And that tool, they said, you know what? People didn't really like the gaming uh, you know, uh, product that we were developing, but this tool could be really helpful. We found it valuable for us. I bet somebody else could find it valuable as well. That tool became Slack and they wound up... Reaching out to a handful of companies and saying, hey, we've got this internal communication tool that we think you might be able to benefit from. So here's the here's the crazy twist. It became the fastest SAS, you know, SaaS company in history in terms of growth. And they wound up hiring back many of the employees that they had to lay off because, specifically because of the way they treated them as they were being forced to shut the company down. And, you know, it's just silver, it's silver lining. But it actually perfectly plays into what I was, you know, really wanted to talk about today is the idea of how innovative companies pivot when they need to, not just to survive in some cases to survive. But then as you talk about to thrive and scale and grow, because sometimes you can't scale something if it's dying, if it's dying, if it's a dying industry. Um, But they're a perfect example of our current business model isn't working were being forced by internal or external circumstances to shut down the way we're doing things. And they made that pivot. And I mean, you know, it's certainly a Wall Street success, um, but I know there's thousands and thousands of companies uh, and millions of individuals who use Slack. And um, it's an incredible tool, but but that's the kind of story that sort of highlights the principle of, you've gotta be willing and able to make pivots when necessary. And uh, I think that's a great place to start couldn't agree with you more
0: and I think that you know I didn't realize the the culture that was built inside of you know I don't know what it was formally called before slack this is a lot of new and valuable information uh, to me and and I think um I think as well as I'm starting to speak to more and more businesses in the space there's this becoming a more and more common trend where a lot of these service-based businesses transition into being technology companies because they have a unique problem that they are solving for themselves. And then as a result, that becomes, you know, wildly more valuable and more scalable as a solution as a result of it. And
1: look at, look at Amazon, look at AWS. Jeff Bezos went to the board and said, I think we need to build this scalable cloud storage. And the board goes, why? He goes, because we need it. And I think that if we need it, other people might too. And holy cow, is he right? I mean, if valued separately, it'd be one of the top 10 most valuable companies in the world. They built it because they needed it themselves. And, you know, Simon Sinek has this great quote. He says, small business owners own small businesses, but entrepreneurs solve problems. And so I'm in the business of empowering entrepreneurs because I, you know, I, 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 if you if you own a small business, I'm rooting for you all the way. It's, it's, it's a wonderful and a noble thing to run a small business, but I love gathering around and empowering entrepreneurs who are out to solve problems in the world for, for themselves, for individuals for other companies and that's what I get really excited about and really fired up about is how are we solving problems and I think one of the challenges especially that we've seen in the last you know the last year is companies I think there was companies in a couple different phases but it was primarily like you fit into one of two categories either the pandemic hit, people completely unexpectedly. And I'm not saying that we should expect a pandemic. I don't think that was to be expected, but it forced e-commerce and, you know, caused growth of what they said, you know, like the equivalent of 10 years and 10 months, something just insanely ridiculous. It just, you know, but that in itself was not surprising in the sense of if you were full solely focused on brick and mortar before, all it did was escalate the demise of, or the inability for you to use that method to scale your business. And I think companies have a, a a challenge when they focus on the method or the model instead of their just cause. So Simon Sinek has a great book out called the infinite game. And he talks about a just cause. What is it that you believe in, in, in how you can make a difference in changing the world And never letting your technology or your product or anything else get in the way of your just cause. So for example, people who say, here's our food product, here's our health product. We think it's great. We think it's going to help people. We are committed to brick and mortar. And they just exclusive, we don't want to sell on Amazon. We don't want to sell online. We're just going to focus on brick and mortar. And as a result of the pandemic, you realize very quickly that model got, you know, I mean unhinged, if nothing, if nothing less, um, because they forgot that the goal was to get the the product into the hands of people who needed the most, regardless of the channel. And focusing on your just cause allows you to, in some cases, dismiss a method or a channel or a product and say, "Yep, yeah, we actually believe in empowering people in this way or helping people in this way." And that may cause us to pivot and focus and not get too wrapped up in what we were doing in the specific methodology or the specific products that we were offering. And I've got some really cool stories that sort of encapsulate that of how innovative companies act nimbly and are able to make pivots on a dime, if necessary, to fulfill their just cause instead of just selling a product and running a business. So
0: i'm sitting here just eating up every single word (laughs) Uh, i want to say firstly thank you because what i haven't actually told you is that when we spoke a few months ago you mentioned the book the infinite game and i went ahead and i read it and i found it so illuminating just in terms of you know, this, this shift around, you know, there is no end game when you're building a business. If you build it to, to own a business yeah. for owning a business sake or to solve a finite problem that exists right there, you know, it's very hard for people to get behind and rally behind. Like if you're not cause and purpose driven to solve something that has no start, no end and is perpetually in motion, then it shifts your whole core values. It shifts your whole focus as to well, what am I, why do we exist in the world and what are we trying to solve? Not, we have a service, we have a solution, we tick this box and then off we go. And so yeah. it, de- it definitely has, um, made me think a little deeper as to, you know, what does that even, what does that even mean in terms of where we're heading as a business? But I think to draw back on your points before, um, very timely, you know, we're going through, yeah. we're going through a pandemic, um, Things are just going all over the place. You're having, let's, you know, if we look at the e commerce equation, some products are absolutely going bananas, others are not doing as well. We've got supply chain and logistics issues coming in sure. from China. You know, there's a whole lot of disruption, the tariffs, the changes. And, you know, when you look at innovation and creating an innovation um, based or, or focused company, what do you, what would you look at? in terms of okay my product isn't selling um i was in an i was in a specific niche that was very valuable uh to something pre-pandemic it was let's call it a uh something around travel right not 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 the hottest uh market Eh. uh, at the moment (laughs) but you know how do you how do you start to bake that into your dna and your culture like what's your what's your position eight years of research looking at it how do you start to have people start thinking about it as the drivers in the business
1: so steve jobs a lot of people don't know that steve jobs actually worked at hp um, when he was growing up i think just over the summer and um mike marcula who was at fairchild semiconductor and then at intel um had a brilliant exit <laughs> very successful innovate you know exit from uh the innovativeness of of Fairchild and Intel but he became the first primary investor of Apple and employee number 3 um jobs asked markula he said what's the formula to build a company that endures and markula responded he said lasting companies know how to reinvent themselves He said, HP has done it repeatedly. And so he, he, he said this to Jobs. He said, Apple has been sidelined by Microsoft in the PC business. You've got to reinvent the company to do some other thing, like other consumer products or devices. You've got to be like a butterfly and have a metamorphosis. That's the key to having a lasting, enduring company. I mean... There's certain elements where if you're going to last that long, there's so many things around you that are going to change the technology, the culture, the values, the products that we sell, that we like, everything's changing. So if you want to survive, if you want to endure, and if you want to grow, you have to be willing to reinvent yourself. And it allows you to, you you, you can do that if you have a, a just cause that you can focus on and say, Let's shift the business. We can still fulfill our just cause. That hasn't changed. Um, But we're going to do it in a new way. And a great example of that is Kodak, right? So Steve Sasson, he's a 24-year-old engineer, at Eastman Kodak, in 1975, develops digital technology, the ability to take and display a digital picture. And nobody wanted anything to do with it at Kodak. They're like, why would anybody want this technology? Now, their whole premise was... Their whole premise was our goal is to empower individuals to be able to capture and share memories. We want people to be able to take a camera on vacation and take photos that they can share with their kids, with their grandkids and their loved ones when they get home to to have those memories, to share them. That was their just cause. They got so caught up in the technology of film and print that they ignored the emerging digital for so long that it nearly capsized the company and where they could have been the leader they lagged behind by decades because they were focused too much on the specific method of how they were fulfilling their just cause instead of the just cause itself
0: yeah i mean i'm sitting here and i'm just thinking like how does this apply to me how does this apply to to my business and we're going through some pretty interesting changes. We started talking uh, a little bit about it before, but um, I know for us as a business, um, you know, there's definitely, when when I look at the challenges and every entrepreneur, every business is gonna go through its challenges. But I would say one of the biggest challenges globally right now from an e-commerce and Amazon specific perspective is that demand and supply, the demand for talent that exists inside of Amazon is far outweighing supply on a, on a global scale. You know, I, I speak yeah, to people yeah, yeah. in the U S um, you know, what they're paying for someone to come and work inside of a, you know, an Amazon focused agency is absurd. You know, you're, you're talking about 25 year old kids who've had, you know, a year at Amazon and a couple of years, total experience, and they're yeah. getting six figures when really they can't even deliver all that much. They're not leading a team at that level, they're not, they're not evolved enough to, to add enough value. And so it pushes the prices up and it creates this whole disruptive method. And so I'm sitting here saying, well, all right, I don't know. How do we solve that problem? Do we go into the education space? Do we help fix them? Right, do we right. do we push further into the technology space? And do we say, right, well, let's enable our existing client base to, um, you know, to, to, to simply leverage technology to support some of these solutions that otherwise would have been people delivering. Like, you know how do we approach it? And I'm at the point right now where I'm trying to figure out how do we build this as an ingrained aspect inside of our business as a culture. If I put that question to you and to anyone listening who's going through any sorts of challenges required or potential future pivots that might, you know, be for saying, you always want to be two, three steps ahead of the game here. Like we have no issues right now today, but six months, twelve months, right. eighteen months out, who knows what the world looks like at that point? So how do you? How do you start to build that culture? How do you stop it from just being, you know, you as the founder of the business or you and your co-founder and some of your senior management team, how do you build that throughout?
1: Yeah, it, a lot of it has to do with um, empowering people. And if you go back to even the early days of NASA and mission, uh, NASA and mission control in the space program, one of the things that they always did was they pushed decision-making down to the lowest levels, you know, from an organization perspective um, as opposed to just focusing on pushing information up. And so it's a very different way of running a business, but when you hire an entire team, an entire company of entrepreneurs who are about solving problems, not doing a specific job, it gives you the, the flexibility to make those quick shifts and changes. You can't hire for innovation because what you're hiring people to do is something that's never been done before. So experience goes out the window. You're looking for people who are passionate, who are curious, and who like to tinker. Those are actually the three most important traits, you know, that, that I would look at if you're if you're going to hire people for an organization. Passionate, curious, and like to tinker, because they're going to be on the front lines of going, hey, you I, I I'm seeing this come up, I'm seeing uh, these issues or problems emerge, and I think we could do something about it. And they they don't even feel like they have to ask permission to go out and start exploring. They just go off and start building it. Southwest has done this probably better than any other company. And to date, they have never laid off or furloughed a single employee, to my knowledge. I mean, just decades. Their stock beat out Intel's, if you'd invested in, I think, 1970s. It's unbelievable because when they said, you know, we think that we can go into this electronic ticketing system, they didn't even ask management. They just got together and started doing it. I mean, can you imagine programs where people feel so empowered and th- that by the time the management comes around and goes, um, we think we should invest in ticketing systems. They're like, yeah, we've actually been underway for that for six months. You want to come check out the latest prototype. It's, it's very interesting, but it's sort of like hiring an entire business of entrepreneurs. But the point that I want to make here is we literally live in a culture and a day and age of no excuses. You have no excuse. I'm not saying there's not challenges to running a business. There are always, there's internal challenges, there's external challenges, high, low, above, left, right, and behind. I get it, but you cannot survive or thrive a company or scale a company, unless you have the confidence and willingness to take risks and make changes, um, in order to be able to, to be successful. And this is this is really interesting. I wanna read this quote um, from Jim Collins Good to Great. Ah, uh, I knew it was gonna one, come up. I knew it was of, gonna come up. One of, the, one, one of the good to great companies is Kimberly Clark. They were a paper company, but when they hired uh, their CEO, he said, we're gonna make a shift. And what they did was they dumped the paper business. They, they sold, sold the, the mills. mills. They sold the mills and they said, we're moving into consumer products. Okay. It's an emerging business. And he said, I had an interesting conversation with executives from another competing company, right? He said, they were an okay company. They weren't a great company. And they said, what Kimberly did is not fair. So they were talking about Kimberly Clark. He says, not fair. What do you mean? They said, oh, sure. They'd become a much more successful company, but you know, if we'd sold our paper business, and become a powerful consumer company, we could have been great too, but we just have too much invested in it and we couldn't have brought ourselves to do it. It, I mean, it's so powerful. Yoni, that's like saying we could have survived COVID. We could have had, oh man, if we'd have, if if we'd have made this shift or this change, we could have been dominating, but we were just too invested in our core business. What does that even mean? What's your core business? Going bankrupt? Is that your core business? Yeah, I mean, to that business. <laughs> not serving your customers, not adding value. So so companies that are able to pivot and shift, who are focused on that just cause, who are focused on adding value, look, there is always value to be added in the world today. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. And, and if if you've got a company that's built on concepts of innovation, like I said, hiring entrepreneurs to run the company, You can make those pivots and shifts when you need to and not live in a world of excuses of like, oh, it's not fair. The same thing that that companies, you mentioned a lot of things, supply chain, logistics, taxes, tariffs, all that. Everybody else is dealing with those as well. So why is it in that world that some companies are able to succeed and be great and other companies are struggling and failing? It's not a line that gets drawn that says you get to be successful and you have to fail entrepreneurs create their own opportunities. If you don't like the way your business is going and the way the circumstances, the whatever you want to call it, the environment around your business is going, the direction that it's going, change your business. And again, I think that we have to own that principle. Again, we're talking about Apple. How many times did Apple reinvent itself? I mean, they became their computer company, their desktop publishing. Wait a second. Now they're a music company. Now now they're a cell phone company. Wait a second. Now it's electronic consumer devices. I mean, now they're a software company. They had the ability, and, and jobs made this decision over and over to bet the company on the new direction. The entire company. If this doesn't work, the whole thing is gonna burn to the ground. And most people just don't have that capability. And like he said. He said, we just had too much invested in it and we couldn't have brought ourselves to do it. That's the difference between an innovative company and an innovative leader that survives and thrives versus the one that got a business. Can you bring yourself to reinvent yourself when you need to?
0: Amen. And I remember that quote uh, so vividly. I actually even think that um, that particular CEO of Kimberly Clark, when he retired, he ended up. Donating a big portion of his salary. I can't remember what it was, but he was just an incredible uh, human being. But I want to draw on a few points uh, before we're talking about key hiring characteristics around curiosity. Um, I can't remember the other
1: two that you listed specifically. Yeah, curiosity. So, passion is really the most important thing. People who are passionate, you can't teach passion but then curiosity and tinkering. People who are willing to just, they're just willing to start picking things up and playing with them and creating and making and and being curious because they're going to discover opportunities. They're going to discover opportunities that you haven't thought of for sure. So, so on that point, I've had the good
0: fortune of sitting down with probably four or five ex Amazonians who spent, you know, a hefty amount of time at Amazon, you know, North of seven years there, some significantly more. And um, I actually, the last conversation I had uh, a few days ago is with James Thompson, uh, Buy Box Experts, sure. ex-Amazon. Um, and he was talking about when he was sitting inside of the recruitment function, inside of the specific business unit he was in, 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 in Amazon. And they talked about the, effectively, like part of the, uh, part of that recruitment process or that interview process was to, effectively create uh, an unsolvable problem you know for example i mm-hmm. think the one he gave is like how do we go to the, how do we get to the moon back in the 60s you know yeah how to and so it was never about can someone solve this problem in the conversation today but how can they break it down those components to abstractly look at it and say well we need rocket fuel and from the rocket mm-hmm. fuel we're gonna need oxygen up there so they start to sort of break down all of these components and so you know, it made me really think about our recruitment process, which we have a good one, but like mm-hmm. everything, continue to be better and better and better. Um, we're a recruitment company, one one half of the company's <laughs> recruitment, so you hope it's, sure. you hope it's good. But um, I think that um, what I'm starting to learn as well, on top of the fact that, you know, taking on that curiosity piece and that education and maybe giving, you know, a very high value uh, complex test before someone enters the operation, Um And it's funny, um, I keep calling him out. Um, Jab, one of our internal business analysts, programmers, um, he came to us a few, maybe about a month or so ago, and he pitched us an idea to create an entire department inside of the business called the Kaizen Department, Constant Improvement. Mm -hmm. And on the back of that, we've said, Not only can you have this department, you now have budget to hire four people under you for the rest of the year, maybe more. Let's see how we go. And today I sat in a meeting around the recruitment team specifically. Um, You know, I was talking to you about challenges, very hard to find anyone that has, you know, three, four, five years Amazon experience that isn't currently employed. And I would also argue that I don't know or necessarily agree with the business owners that that's the most critical skill. I think that it's still in its infancy as a, as a, sure. as a platform and to bring in better managers and educate them will be higher value. Maybe they maybe we get access to your course, you pay for the course, we sure. help educate sure, them sure. and that's going to be a smarter way for us to build. And I think it's definitely something, there's something to that. But the point I'm yeah. making is that when I look at how do I create and foster this uh, culture of innovation, I've highlighted not only on the podcast several times now since this has all sort of come to light, but internally I've called him out four or five times, and I say to anyone in the business, if you come to us with an idea that you want to solve a problem that we're not even thinking about, then off you go. You are going to get budget. You're going to get opportunity. You're going to be able to do whatever you want. And today, I sat in on a meeting where he's done a Kaizen week with our recruitment team, talking about the data points, the insights, the challenges, the bottlenecks. How do we solve for X? And as a result, you know, inadvertently, we're starting to become this innovative company. Um, right, right, right. And, and so, you know, I guess for those well, listening.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, so you mentioned two parts of that. One is hiring, hiring for innovation. The other part is creating the culture of internal processes and, and values that uh, create and sustain innovation. And for that, you really have to defer to the 15% rule, right? I mean, it really goes back to 3M, one of the most enduring innovative companies who, by the way, spent the first 14 years completely unprofitable, figuring out what they were going to (laughs) do, starting with sandpaper. And you look at the dominant giant that 3M is today. um, They hired people who were allowed to pursue that personal passion, that curiosity, and that tinkering. You got 15% of your time. Go do whatever you want with it. And you look at Google. Google adopted it. Most of the products, Gmail, Maps, News. I mean, all of these products were developed internally with that 15% time and they pitched the projects. And, you know, I I think there's sometimes where and there's companies will do it one of two ways. One, one way, sort of the more hierarchical is, okay, a manager has to approve it. And then we kind of, it goes up the chain or up the ladder. The other way to do it, which is actually much more, um, empowering from an autonomy and freedom standpoint is if you have a, if you have a project that you want to do, great you go recruit your teammates to be on board and use their 15% of time for your project. If you can't recruit anybody, it's not going to it's not going to succeed. Things don't succeed because they're mandated from the top down. They succeed because people buy in. And that's the difference and you know, you want to talk about creating a culture from bureaucratic hierarchical leadership to empowered autonomy and you know, self-organized leadership. What, what, what Captain David Marquet calls leader leader. You know, you read his book, um, Turn the Ship Around. He was, he was assigned to a nuclear submarine and he couldn't hire anybody or fire anybody for that matter. He didn't have any of the ability to just pick and choose his crew. His crew was assigned to them and their ship, their ship was literally last in the fleet in terms of all of the metrics of competence and ratings and everything. And over a, a, a several year process, he adopted what he called a leader-leader mentality of you're empowered. And it, it came to a halt when he basically gave a command um, to, he said, you know, full ahead two thirds and the XO, you know, repeated the command full ahead two thirds. And the, the guy driving the submarine's like, what do you want me to do? He's like, did you hear the command? He goes, yeah. He said, did you follow it? He goes, no. He goes, why not? He goes, we don't have full ahead two thirds. He looks at the XO, he's like, did you know we didn't have full ahead two thirds? He goes, yeah. He said, why did you repeat the command? You have this whole culture of people who are just doing what they tell you to do, even when they know it's the wrong thing to do. And he knew he was going to be in trouble if he allowed that culture to continue. And so instead they created a culture where everybody knew what what I call role responsibility. They knew what they were responsible for. The buck stops with me and they would say, sir, I intend to sir, I intend to do this. And he'd say, very well, sir, I intend to do this. Basically, instead of him telling them every single piece that they needed to do, they knew what their jobs were. And all they had to be given was the training for the competence and the autonomy to do their job. And he would just give that final approval. Sir, I intend to, very well. And they had this example in the book. They had a small pump. It was running out of oil. They were going to have to bring the entire submarine in back to base just for, for a, a small, you know, five gallon, you know, can of fuel or, or, or a can of oil for this, uh, for this pump. And they're like, we don't want to be out of commission for that. So they're, they're going through the Strait of Hermouth uh, and they see a Navy fast resupply ship. And, and, you know, the, the person on the deck goes, Hey, captain, you know, there, there's a, a Navy fast supply ship. I bet they've got the oil that we need. So here's somebody who's proactively saying, hey, I, I see a way we can solve our problem so that we don't have to take ourselves out of commission and get docked for days. So he said, great, set it up. They call ahead. And within seconds, the entire ship springs to action. People doing exactly what they need to do. And he said, I, not only did I not give a single command, he said, there's no way in the world I could have orchestrated all of that myself. I had an entire team of empowered individuals who jumped on that opportunity and made it happen in a, in less than an hour. They were able to communicate with the ship. They were able to get approval. They had the ships, you know, the, 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 the boats over. And it's just so incredible that again, we live in a, an era of no excuses. And one of the things that I think was most heartbreaking for me this last year was to see how many companies still operated from hierarchy, and bureaucracy. And and a good friend of mine works with Allstate and got the notice, hey, you're being laid off. And really disappointed. He's been with the company for years. And they didn't even let him know that he was going to be laid off. They said, we're going to announce layoffs, which is like, I think even worse to do that, You know, to just say, hey, in four weeks, we're going to announce who's going to be laid off. So then everybody's spending the next four weeks going, oh my God, is it going to be me? Is it going to be her? Is it going to be, you know, who? So they announced the layoffs. And I said, why didn't, I said, first of all, why did they tell you that they were going to lay you off before they even told you that it was going to be you? He said, well, their core value, one of the core values is transparency. And so they said, well, we're going to be transparent and tell you that, you know, we need to lay everybody off. I said, why didn't they tell you months before that? Here's the budget. Here's what we need to do. Guys, COVID's hitting us. This is going to be really challenging. We need to figure out a way to save money and make more money and make some pivots. You guys are the smartest engineers on the planet that they've hired and people in all the capacity uh, of the business and the aspects of the business that they had, they could have solved the problem. And they didn't give them that empowerment. They didn't give them that opportunity. They didn't know the budgets or the numbers. They waited, 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 waited until they were forced to do massive layoffs. And I think they did it in the worst possible way. And that's, that's an outsider's opinion, but there's a better way for doing it. If they had said from day one, guys, We, you know, this is in March, March, April, you, you knew things were going to, you know, hit hard. Tell your people, give them the numbers, be transparent then and say, we're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to change. If everyone wants to keep a job, we got to find ways to save money. We got to find new ways to make money. Go. And I guarantee it would have been a different story and they would have not had to do nearly the number of layoffs that they did if they had uh, taken a different approach and truly empowered their people. I mean, that is really a tale
0: of two stories right there. You have on one hand, when we talk about the um, commander of the submarine, uh, yeah. you're looking about accountability, empowerment, leadership, you know. Uh, it's. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a flat structure. It's a structure of, of absolute ownership and delegation. And on the other hand, you have a company that, you know, wasn't able to pivot or shift because they had built themselves into a culture and an operation where they weren't nimble and they couldn't shift and so drawing back on what you were saying before about apple yeah it's reinvented itself a million times it doesn't always get it right every single time most of the time it does if we're honest here um but you know, um, even drawing on Amazon, you know, a, a great podcast to listen to uh, a guy by the name of Tyler Wallace. He's got a podcast. It's just been launched relatively recently. It's called Think Like Amazon, where he's hmm. only interviewing high level Amazon, you know, ex-Amazonians or current Amazonians on how they approach it. And I've listened to, I think, all of his episodes and I'm going to get him on uh, an episode here. I've just absolutely oh, yeah. loved learning about how they think about it in Amazon and I can't remember the, her name but she was talking about how Amazon was moving into Amazon fresh and mm-hmm. they set up this entire um, they set up this entire infrastructure of having these sort of like stalls set up everywhere where they'd have vendors and you'd be able to buy ice cream and all these little things set up everywhere and they ran the numbers or she ran the numbers with their department and then she was directly responsible for this specific, PL and this new innovative idea and she walked in and said listen this isn't going to work we've run the numbers we've looked at it it's not going to work effectively rendering herself obsolete but when you have that level of accountability responsibility insight into the data around the business and that decision making power you're less fearful about your job security and just doing what it is you're supposed to do and you look at it more as is this the problem that we can actually solve? And if not, let's let's double down, let's invest, let's see if it works and then let's kill it. And it actually eventually turned into something altogether different, which has become a super profitable arm of, you know, right. the Amazon machine. So drawing back to your points, building that culture of innovation that Amazon has, even, you know, when I was speaking with James Thompson, he was talking about the fact that if you didn't have a billion dollar idea that you were looking to solve, it would be put by the wayside and left right. because yeah. they are looking to solve the biggest problems that exist in market today. And, you know, if they fall short, okay, you've got a half a billion dollar, you know, yeah. idea <laughs> that you've solved for. Them. And that's, but not, that's a fail not 2
1: million or a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, no, it's true. Amazon knows how to ruthlessly prioritize probably better than any other company in the world. And they have to make hard decisions. And, and I get that. And some of them, I mean, we talk about this, you know, seller-centric versus consumer-centric. Amazon's a consumer-centric company. Sellers kind of come last. They're sort of, you know, it's like consumers, then Amazon, then, then the sellers. But if they reverse that order, Amazon would not be as successful as they are. It would not be the envious platform that people want to be on. Um, but, you know, you're absolutely right. And you have to you have to take those gambles and you got to take those risks. There's one other short story that I I wanna share. It was actually a company that I've done some Amazon coaching with and they actually make road cases. They're called fiasco cases. And so if you've ever been to a concert and they've got all those black boxes with wheels up on, the the stage rolling around all the equipment in, well, that's what they used to transport it. Well, they knew when COVID hit, this is not gonna be good for the touring industry. Music companies, production companies, nobody's gonna be buying our stuff. They lost 90% of their sales in the first half of March. Wow. They could they could have gone home and cried about it and said, oh boo hoo, our company's not a business, and you know, that's just too bad. They didn't. He asked them, he said, we asked ourselves what what our team does really well. And what they were really good was they have a technique called CNC and it's for machining plywood. So here they're used to making road cases. Again, think about just cause. We're looking to solve people's problems and help people not make a specific product. Overnight they pivoted to making work from home desks out of the same plywood that they would use to make road cases. They now made self, you can assemble these, these work from home desks and you can adjust them to different levels. They're really amazing. Um, And they, they use their core competencies. They use their same tools, their same resources. Overnight, they made a pivot and he said their team worked ridiculously hard. He said 12 to 16 hour days, sometimes five, six days a week. So it was not without sacrifice, but I guarantee if you ask every one of those employees, would you be rather rather be working this hard, helping solve people's problems or be out of a job sitting on the couch, looking for your next opportunity. Everybody's going to say one thing, like, I want in. Um, and so they knew with our technology, with our skills, people are going to be working from home. Let's solve that problem. And they pivoted and zero excuses out of their mouths. And, and those are the stories that inspire me. That's what I absolutely love. Is like, don't ask yourself, you know, what we're going to do when we fail. Ask what you can do to succeed. You know, ask what your team can do well to take advantage of the opportunity right now. And I look at my business, you could say, well, you know, Shannon, yeah, but it's not really fair because, you know, you happen to be working with companies around Amazon during the year that, you know, all these other companies are facing struggle and Amazon is like the number one thing. I mean, Amazon held our economy <laughs> together to some extent, was delivering, you know, essentials to, you know, 80% of the homes in America. know for a three four week period um but of course i didn't start off doing amazon i started off doing web design and amazon was a side piece and i made a pivot an intentional pivot because i could see where amazon was going and i dumped the web design business in order to focus on amazon because i knew it was going to be the future and i think other companies you got to take you got to have that vision you've got to know this is where it's going and if your business model is declining every year look if you're blockbuster right? If you're, I mean, you got to know your business model is doomed for failure at some point based on the trends, make the shift now to capitalize on it so that you can survive, thrive, and scale. I think that is the absolute perfect
0: uh, (laughs) endpoint here on, (laughs) on a way to sort of walk away and say, you know, that's really what you need to think about. You need to think about what can I do now? to prevent the inevitable if you are on a uh, on a declining sort of scale here and how do i future proof the business to the extent that i can foresee it out and make those changes by largely for, for me as i look at it how do i bring in the right people who are going to think like that so that i'm not going to be a you know a, a, the entrepreneur the only entrepreneur in the business which i'm far from it thankfully in in, yeah. in our business so Matt shannon Thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like I just want to sit back to back to back with you. <laughs> so was, uh, about everything. Uh, mate, it's just, it's awesome. Every time I get to spend, uh, you know, even 10 minutes having a conversation with you, I feel like I learned so much. And we'll have, you to just my so we'll, we'll have, have to do it again. So we absolutely will. Um, I know you've just updated your course and you've come out mm-hmm. with a whole lot of new modules and I'm super excited. I've been fortunate enough to have a look into it. It's an amazing course. The way you lay things out, um, you know, let's let's give it a bit of a plug here because we are talking to largely a lot of e-commerce and Amazon sellers, sure. so I'm sure they'll get a lot of value out of it. So, how do they get in touch? How do they get access? How does it work?
1: Yeah, it's marketplacesellercourses.com. And again, we used to charge $1,000 for the course. COVID hit, we made the pivot. Monthly enrollment, right? It was just a better model. So again, just because it's the way you've done it doesn't mean it has to be the way you do it moving forward. So essentially, it's the A to Z essentials for brands specifically focused on brands and manufacturers to launch, grow, and their brands on Amazon. That's it. So if you've got a product, if you've got uh, intellectual property, trademarks, patents, if you've got an e-commerce website like a Shopify, social media this is the perfect uh, resource for you to be able to help your team take Amazon either uh, to the next level or to launch on Amazon for the first time if you haven't done so already. So it's basically online interactive modular videos that walk you through every aspect of setting up your business, optimizing the listings, launching products, dealing with the most common problems. And it's just built on eight years of experience that I've done consulting with over 150 companies I learned something new every single day and we keep up to date with the Amazon best practices and the tools and the resources. And I think somebody commented on my post this morning, like, wow, that's impressive to update a course. And I'm like, yeah, I'm updating it and Amazon's still updating. So Amazon, I get to the end of a a course update, Amazon makes two changes and I got to go back back and make changes. I said, it's like changing 40 tires on a semi-truck doing 80 miles an hour down the freeway. But the idea is you have to give people accurate information that's up to date, that's reliable, that's completely in line with the Amazon terms of service, but it's really the most fundamental principles and strategies for success. And I just watched so many companies fail. I mean, you know, you can blow hundred dollars in bad, you know, ad budget in a single day. So, you know, to invest a hundred dollars for you and a teammate, team member in your company to get access for an entire month you talk about the ability to tap into a resource that will literally pay for itself. And then some, um, it's just so cool. So yeah, marketplace, the graphic at the top, literally click the button to enroll. Now within seconds, you can be enrolled in the course. You have full access. We've got Q and a section, strategy tips, video tips, um, private Facebook group, uh, links and resources all inside. And we've got a 30 day money back guarantee because I, I just believe in the product. And so, if somebody doesn't get a hundred percent value out of it and go, oh my gosh, this is amazing, we just give you your money back. And and there's no questions because we know the value that it's created for brands and we're here to help. We're here to solve a problem. Amen
0: to that. And I'll I'll finish off and just say you've listened to him speak for the last forty-five to fifty minutes here. You clearly see how intelligent the guy is the passion the hunger the focus on innovation i've had a chance to look at the course and you know i get no kickbacks out of this um just from someone who's seen inside of it super impressive stuff you're a super switched on and you know uh, passionate guy looking to help so You know, anyone looking to get into the to the learning, um, evolving, highly recommend it. Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time, my friend, and uh, I look forward to chatting again, having you on again. Um,
1: It just gets more and more fun. Awesome, thanks so much, Shannon. You have a good one.